For eyes are the windows to our soul and our body, while our skin is the billboard to our body. It's our largest organ, and as such, it reflects both what's going on inside our body and it creates a pathway for the toxins that need to get out. And just as stress weakens our body and makes us vulnerable, while the stress of our current environment has actually wreaked havoc on our skin. Some of the symptoms that it's providing may actually surprise you. I'm going to talk right now to a board-certified dermatologist so you can find out what may actually be going and why your skin is doing what it's doing. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, please rate and review us so that more people can know about it and they don't have to suffer as well. Thanks so much. Hi, Facebook. It is a, it's Wednesday. It is Wednesday today, right? Usually I'm here on Thursdays, but hi, welcome on Wednesday. Thank you all for adjusting your schedule today. And I hope you're having a good day. Um, I'm Sarah Heiner, and I'm thrilled for you to join me. And just a reminder, we're going to talk shortly. I just teased in the little chat box, if any of you are losing your hair, developing acne when you, you thought you were done with that 20 years ago, whether you're having a rash or weird hives or whatever it is, our skin is very reactive to stress. So we're gonna to talk today about the stress in the world and how we are processing that on our bodies and it's literally oozing out our skin. So we're gonna learn what you can do, what's going on and how you can stop that and love what you're seeing in the mirror a little bit more again. Um, let me remind you of all sorts of things going on. Um, we've got a whole growing library of these Facebook Live videos that are in, in um, the Facebook video section here on Bottom Lines page. If you don't want that or you want to come back later on and it's a little confusing to go through Facebook, you can come to our YouTube channel, Bottom Line Inc. on the YouTube channel. Again, we've got this lovely, long, growing list of them. Refer them to your friends. Tell your friends to subscribe because we have a whole bunch of stuff to help people get healthier. A um, couple videos I want to point out. One video in particular I want to point out that's in there. Um, as the COVID cases are spiking, there is a lot that you can do to protect yourself. Doctors aren't talking about it, but there are things you can be doing to build your own defenses and reduce your risk of getting sick. And if you do get sick, to get it severely or to even die of it. So for you and for your family, there's um, a, we're gonna put the, the link into the chat here on Facebook, but it's about um, natural COVID self-defense. So watch, look for that video, click on that link, share that and follow the advice, please. Very safe, very important. Um, we also have a download, um, immune boosters that your doctor, again, is not telling you. Nothing against doctors. And, and Dr. Trong, who's going to be on in a minute, is an amazing doctor. But doctors focus on one aspect of life often and one aspect of treatment. And there's a whole other end of things that we can all be doing to help ourselves. So there are a lot of immune boosters. We've been, we have this free download. We've been promoting it for months. If you haven't gotten it, download it now. Totally free. No agenda. No advertising. I just really, honest to God, can't stand seeing the numbers and can't stand having us all suffering, frustrated and locked in. So download that and share that too. Share it away. Tell your friends to go download it or download it and share it with your friends. I really don't care. I care that you read it and that you follow the advice. Um, next week, we're, we're on Wednesday again next week at four o'clock. Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum is going to be here. We're going to have a great conversation with him. Um, he is a ph phenomenal doctor. As you know, he's in a lot of these videos, including this one about the natural treatments and protection and self-defense for COVID. We're going to talk to him about his life philosophy and how he's come to where he is in balancing becoming he was a medical doctor and a holistic practitioner, how he's married those and how he's done that in his life. So it's um, going to be a unique 
conversation one like I haven't done those before. So we'll see what that is. I just try to give you a little bit of mixing up um, the types of things we talk about here, all lessons, all things that you can then apply to your own life and trying to inspire you. Uh, don't forget, as always, if you have questions for Dr. Chong, if you're having skin issues, then you can pop them into the chat box and someone will pass them along to me and we will uh, try to get all those answered if we can. If we do not get to all of them um, in the course of the conversation, I'll see if she'll pretty please be able to answer my emails and we'll get an answer for you. Um, so with that, let me bring on Dr. Allison Trong um, mm -hmm. from Cedar sinai Medical Center, Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. So Allison is a board certified dermatologist at Cedar sinai um, She is a national society, so, National Psoriasis Foundation Mentor Program. She's won the award for the National Psoriasis Foundation Mentor Program. That's a mouthful. Um, and she's also received the Annual Dermatology Innovation Forum nomination. So welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, high level. Let's just talk about the skin. You know, there are many people know that skin is your largest organ, but not necessarily what that means and how that connects to the rest of the body. So overall, real briefly, could you just give us a list of a little like skin 101 of why, why it connects? I, I kind of have coined this phrase in my mind of that your skin, you, know, you talk about your eyes as the, the window to your soul. And to me, like your skin is the billboard of your health, right? That somehow everything just telegraphs through your skin. So let's lay the groundwork because we're going to talk about stress and how it's affecting skin. But let's just real briefly like where's the skin and the connection to your to you know your body function and why it all comes out there absolutely um thanks for having me today um so i think that the skin and stress connection is still in its infancy in, in terms of what we know about the research behind it. We know that stress kind of is, it begins actually in the brain. So we have um, a organ called the hypothalamus that really stimulates the pituitary, which is another part of the organs in the brain. And that all stimulates a process that um, releases cortisol, which we all know is the stress hormone, right? But that's not the only thing that gets released. There's a lot of other things that gets released. But cortisol um, is the main stress hormone. And after cortisol is released, um, it can stimulate different parts of our the rest of our body, which we call the sympathetic um, system. Um, and you may experience this, for example, like I say, back in the day when we're evolutionarily running away from like lions or something dangerous, uh, we get an influx of adrenaline, right? We're running fast. We have epinephrine, we have noradrenaline, et cetera. And that allows us to run really fast and to be, you know, in a safe environment, but it's meant to be for a short amount of time, right? But in the world that we live in, um, unfortunately, with COVID and everything that people are going through, a lot of people are experiencing significant stress for a really long time. Um, and to the point where where you may not even notice that you're stressed anymore. You're just like, I've dealt with it and I've um, you know, been able to control it, but your skin is feeling it. Your skin has receptors that accept these stress hormones and stress um, neuropeptides. And, um, and you may notice it like, hmm, I'm more itchy than I ever was, but I've had eczema my whole life. And so there's proteins that are releasing the skin that is actually inflammatory in the setting of stress. So um, these stress peptides that actually begin in the brain, all the 
stimulate cells all the way down to the level of the skin and the nerves in the skin. Um, and they respond by making more inflammatory cytokines, more itch proteins, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all connected. Um, there's a lot more that needs to be learned. Um, I think we are working on the research behind that, but to put it simply, I think that's kind of what's going on. Right. And we're going to talk later on about managing stress. Like we'll talk about some of the things that, what, that you've been experiencing in your practice, what your patients are experiencing. We'll talk a little about you know, what, what you can do to treat them, but we're going to come back to managing the stress as kind of, a, an, under, kind of, kind of an underlay of all of it, right? The underlying support. Really? Um, so when this stress is happening, I mean, there are a lot of skin issues that they say already that are connected to stress. Um, hives, I used to have hive problems that I would break out in hives, um, mm -hmm. you know, rashes or contact, other odd dermatitis or um, eczema or psoriasis, one of those are very um, stress related. So um, is there anything else in the body, like in the digestive tract or in the, like, or is it like the, the cortisol, the stress attaches it, but there's, are there other things going on in the body as well so that it percolates out through the skin? We've got environments that make the skin vulnerable to, you know, like especially vulnerable. Like you can, it's at, it's at bay until your stress goes up and then it kicks it, you know, kind of kicks it into hyperdrive. Yeah, I mean, I think we sometimes do it to ourselves, to be honest, and I don't know if I'm answering your question specifically, but, um, you know, when you are, are stressed, you um, relieve it in certain ways. For example, we have like nervous habits of like scratching your skin, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and as you itch, you scratch and you itch and you scratch. And then we go into this cycle of the itch scratch cycle, we sometimes call it. As I itch, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, or, you know, just like a nervous tick here right. or there. Um, but then it, it creates little cracks in your skin. It makes cuts in your skin. And then then you create problems for yourself because now you're introducing bacteria in the skin, viruses in the skin, you know, um, we'll talk about some of these later, but like, you know, for example, herpes or cold sores, like sometimes it's ag aggravated around the lips um, by stress because, you know, it's already laying dormant in there, but your immune system is being um, a little bit like, lowered by the fact that your body is so, so stressed. Right. And so these things contribute to making all skin disease worse in the setting of stress. So all of it, all of it can, like you're, you're, you held it at bay until you got stressed. And now it said, aha, there's a, it's, there's a chink in that armor. I'm coming out. I'm alive. Yeah. Right. And people, cold sores, people will frequently get cold sores when their, their immune system is down or they're stressed. Absolutely. Right. Whether it's men, men, mental, um, psychological or physical stress, for sure. Because right. like you can imagine people go um, snowboarding or skiing and then they're out in the sun and the sun can damage your skin, causing little cracks in your lips. And, and, so, and so the physical stress of that can trigger a cold sore or just being psychologically stressed, work stress and, you know, all of this can also um, modulate the immune system locally in the skin. I'm not just saying your whole body, but I'm saying like the skin recognizes this um, and then you can have a breakout of the cold sore as well. Yeah. Well, and again, back to that, our skin in general, it's like a, just a wrapper on our whole body's health and wellness. That Absolutely. Somehow, somehow it all just, that's what pores do, right? It just oozes it out. Um, it's the biggest organ in the, in the body. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about what you're seeing in your practice, what people have been coming in with. In particular, I, 
I was shocked. The, fir the first thing we're going to talk about is hair loss, which never even occurred. I didn't think about it and didn't even occur to me like that you'd go to a dermatologist for it, honestly. Um, so tell me about that. I spent a little bit of time on that because that one I, I found a little bit surprising. And literally, I just said this to you on, on a Facebook group, a neighborhood Facebook group. Some, some woman was just saying yesterday that she's suffering from hair loss. Help, please. Absolutely. Um, I think more than anything, there's lots of cases of, um, you know, I see lots of skin conditions every day. And in one patient, I may see multiple things. For example, I'm doing a full skin check for skin cancer. I'm doing acne uh, recommendations. I'm doing kind of Botox and like filler discussions. But um, hair loss has been the most, the biggest question that's come up in the last um, six months. Um, and I, I do think that people are being, are, are a lot more stressed because of COVID, whether they've lost their jobs, um, whether they're changing the job environment, whether you're used to be at, at work and you have this lovely social environment and then now you're at home alone. Um, everybody's, uh, whether they know it or not, is stressed about COVID or because of COVID or if they've had COVID. Um, and medically, we call that telogen effluvium or stress-related hair loss. Um, and uh, I'll explain telogen effluvium in a bit, but it's a long discussion. But in essence, it puts your hair in this cycle of, of actively falling out and um, as opposed to actively growing. And patients are noticing it by a lot of hair shedding all over their apartment or their homes. Um, and they're coming in a lot for this problem. So... Is this, first of all, is it men and women are having it? And are one, is one more prone to it than another? Yes. Um, the answer is, I would say male and females are both um, equally affected. Um, however, I would say that I think women are noticing it more, at least in my practice, because um, of the fact that I think one is also, can I just say that I think they're just not going to the barber or getting their hair cut as much. Men. And so- is actively longer than they've ever had. And they're like walking around their house being like, why is there hair in my bathtub and my <laughs> kitchen and my living room right. and food? Like my patient yesterday mentioned, she was like, my kids have noticed hair in my food and this is a problem. <laughs> but- um, I hate when that I, happens. I hate when that happens. Uh, but yeah, so she's she like pointed out, but I think a lot of women are noticing it more than men. Um, I'm just going to say, at least in my practice, although men are noticing it, too, for sure. Um, and it's, it's equal, like there's no gender preference here. Everybody kind of lives the, the same biological life, at least I think. Um, and so everybody's getting affected by it, but, um, you know, there's the question is like how much one can do as a doctor. And I would oh, say, sure. <laughs> and I would say a lot of it is you have to figure out what's the cause right. first of all. So, and, um, is, I guess I was I was going to go to like, is it, I'll, I'll ask this and then let's circle back to the, the causes of it or, and, and your diagnosis of it. Um, so in general, just to put people at ease, is this now permanent hair loss? So men's male pattern baldness where it's a one-way train um, mm -hmm. versus is this just a temporary thing? And if they can get their stress under control and if they can you know, get their lives back in order that it will grow back? Absolutely. So it's a great question. Um, people are not going to go bald from this. I think it's like the first thing they walk into my office and they're like, oh my God, Dr. Tron, right. I'm, I'm actively going bald. Right. Can 
stop this? Like, is there anything I can do? And I, and um, firstly, there are some skin conditions that can cause um, permanent baldness. Let me just start there. Um, and I think it is important to be evaluated if things are going south real quickly, right? Um, but I think from for my patients, um, the the telogen effluvium or stress-related hair loss tend to be um, not, well, is not the one that causes permanent baldness. Um, you notice shedding, but as you notice the amount of hair coming off of your head at a faster rate, you should know that there is hair growing in. So the first thing I point out to most of my patients when they walk into my practice is I say, look, there's a lot of baby hairs growing in and um, I'm gonna fully support and help you and guide you through this next process while the hair is growing in because, you know, watching hair grow is like watching grass grow. You can't watch grass grow and then wait and wait and wait. Um, you've got to just trust the process and know that it's not going to lead to, you know, permanent, um, permanent hair loss. And so it will grow if it is stress-related hair loss. So why is it falling out? Um, it's a good question. And I, and I don't think anybody like really knows what is the receptor or what is the specific um, hormone receptor or stress receptor that's triggering hair loss in telogen effluvium um, specifically. There is lots of causes of hair loss. So when a patient first comes to me, I need to evaluate, is there any other medical reasons why you're having hair loss? For example, common things in women is that have heavy periods. Um, and so heavy periods leads to lots of blood loss, which then leads to low iron because every single red blood cell has, a, has an iron in its center core. It's like its molecular structure. So um, when you lose iron, um, which is, uh, then, you, then you start to lose hair. So low iron, low blood, AKA anemia, is a common cause of hair loss in women. Um, another common cause in men or women is thyroid. Um, so if you have changes in hypo or hyperthyroid disease, thyroid's an organ that sits right here, but um, it, it can cause you to have weight loss or significant weight gain, depending if it's hyper or hypo. Um, and these can cause um, also hair loss. So when I say telogen effluvium, I say stress-related hair loss, it doesn't have to be um, mental or psychological stress. Obviously we're talking about this in the setting of COVID, but it could be a physical stress. Um, for example, another, like another example commonly is surgery or the most common example is women who are actively are pregnant and their hair is growing and growing, growing their pregnancy. And everybody's like, your hair is great. Your hair looks great. And then the moment they deliver their baby and they have either just a natural vaginal, spontaneous vaginal delivery or a um, you know C-section, which is a big abdominal surgery, they undergo a hair loss that we also term telogen effluvium, right? So mental or physical stress um, can trigger this stress-related hair loss. So I gotta figure it out for you. Like, is it what caused this? Um, and if it is thyroid or iron or you know deficiency, then I I, I replete that for you. But is it you know COVID? Is this situational? Um, and that we determine together by excluding all the other causes. So um, at what point should somebody worry and should somebody come see you? Um, and we'll talk about actually telemedicine later on if we get a chance to, just in terms of yeah. what, because that's been an aspect. So, you know, here I am, I got some extra going on in my brush. When do I worry? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I think everybody has their different worry limits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think some people mm-hmm. worry at like, oh, I, you know, someone else noticed or, you know, um, as long as I think for me, it's like what I can do as a doctor to help you, because people worry at different limits. Um, I think if it's just different than your baseline, but you'll wait it out. And you know, you're more of a let's kind of see how it goes kind of person, then I would say telogen effluvium can last for a period of six to 12 months. So if you think it's COVID stress related and your patient may as well kind of see how it goes in the next six to 12 months, and then you could see that the hair stabilize over that time. So if you're like, so so even though like we've been stressed for 10 months now (laughs) and it looks like we may be stressed for a while longer. Right. is it, so will it stabilize or will it just keep coming out? And again, it's, I think it's, it's not like there's bald patches in my head. It's simply more, more hair in the drain, more hair on the brush. Right. Right. So, and that's the next thing we'll talk about is finding ways to relieve your stress, right? Stress relieving um, um, modalities, for example, um, fo- focusing on yourself and not the situation that we're all in right now, like meditation, yoga, all of these have been so- shown in multiple studies to lower stress, improve, um, you know, conditions like psoriasis and eczema, et cetera, for patients who are really, st- it's, it's a stress-driven process. And so um, these things you do to take care of yourself, continue exercising, trying to eat healthy, um, you know, eating a balanced diet and exercising and not just letting the situation just come and like, you're just sitting, giving up, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. these are important to, to relieve that stress for you. Now, sorry, um, when is like this, you said it's a six to 12 month process. So mm-hmm. for example, I, if I had C-section or if I was in a car accident or something, so some, some event stressor that then suffocated my hair and it started falling out. So then I understand exactly. it's six to 12 months for it to come back. Where we exactly. in this chronic stress phase, is it just something that they need to ride through, need to manage their stress? We're going to talk a little bit, a couple of specific treatments actually, yeah, uh, but absolutely. it also, is it like, they, they, well, as long as you're still in this stress phase, then it's not like it's magically going to stop. Do you only lose so much? And then it like, does it re- reach some level of equilibrium? So they don't have to worry that they suddenly are like, you know, tissue thin hair. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, that's a good question. I think most people do reach some level of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. But what I mean, six to 12 months post the event. So like you have to stop the problem first. So like, for example, the easiest example, like you said, was like a surgical a surgery event. Right. So, for example, you undergo a mastectomy after right. having of breast cancer. So that that's an end event. You have that diagnosis mm-hmm. and then you do the surgery. Right. So starting from that moment, it's going to take about three to six months for your hair to start to fall out. And then you're going to have to watch it grow back in for another right. or so. Got so, um, it's, it's, it's like the moment that the stress event happens, you're going to start shedding um, over the next couple of months. So people, it's like a little bit of a time lapse. So then people don't relate it back to that event. So like, I always ask like, Oh, did you have a weight loss? Like, did you start a diet? And they're like, yeah, I lost 10 pounds over the last six months. And I'm like, 
have you noticed that that's when your hair started falling? Losing off? 10 pounds will have them lose weight. Oh, for sure. Weight loss, would they feel I, good about that? They'll feel, they'll feel great about that, but then they start to see that their hair comes off. <laughs> Why does their hair come out if they're losing weight? Assuming because, that they're losing weight because they're eating better and exercising more. Or it's because they're taking supplements and causing um, them oh. to, you know, well, that's well, different. That's a variety of reasons. So right. I always say hair is evolutionarily speaking of evolution, um, evolutionarily just a cosmetic thing for your body. Right. Like it, I, I say it's equivalent to having peacock feathers, right? So it's just to, uh, you know, in, inherently attract mm -hmm. the other species, uh, the other sex, shall right. I say. Um, and so, you know, if you have so much energy and so much, um, you know, in your body and you use all of it to feed your brain, feed your heart, feed your, free, feed your other organs, the last that your body wants to devote energy on is your hair or your nails, which are mm. pretty useless entity for you other than as, you know, a decorative thing. And so it's the same idea is that your, your body is utilizing its energy to do something else. I didn't think about that part of it, but I was surprised that, that weight loss would, would create it. I don't know anybody who's trying to lose weight because it's important for your health. Don't stop losing weight because, because <laughs> you're going to lose yours. Let's talk. Okay. So, so what did they do about it? So what are things they can do? So as they're, you know, and at what point do they need treatment versus again, we're going to go to the stress management piece of it, but um, what are, what are the other things that they can do in the interim if they're starting to get concerned? They came to see you now go. Right. So most people who lose um, hair um, due to stress, um, how does it fall out in a pattern that looks like hormonal hair loss, which is why people think, oh, you know, I'm going bald like my mom or my dad did. Um, and, and the reason, so hormonal hair loss is medically called androgenetic alopecia. And I might just um, make one addition is that alopecia is just a very broad term for hair loss medically. Um, there's many types of alopecia. Um, alopecia that you mentioned before, where there's like little circular bald spots mm -hmm. is, um, is a condition called alopecia areata. Um, and, and that is a specific diagnosis. It's an autoimmune disease, et cetera. And there are treatments for that. And then we go into the world of alopecia that I just mentioned, which is non-scarring. So it doesn't leave a scar and will grow back. And that's what I termed telogen effluvium, which we said stress-related hair loss, or what I just said was androgenetic alopecia, which is hormonal hair loss. Okay. <laughs> a little bit on hair loss. Um, <laughs> More than I ever want to know, and no one can spell it anyway right now, but that's okay. <laughs> But I think I always get that I like right. when people walk in and they're like, I have alopecia right. and I'm, you sure do right. tell me about it. But, um, they think that alopecia means like bald. And right. I, in my, in my world, alopecia does not mean bald. It just means that you're noticing hair loss, right? right? It's like, um, Kleenex. it's like it's the brown. Kleenex of hair loss. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's a very broad term. Yeah. Um, so I don't want people to think that like you are bald and you're alopecia. Yeah. Um, but, but um, what I was trying to say is like, as you have stress related hair loss, it falls out in a pattern that looks like hormonal hair loss, which is why people are thinking they're like now, like their mom and dad, who's like right. seven, 80, 90, right. um, like, Oh, I'm going to be like them tomorrow. Please stop this. Right. So we use the same treatments for 
hormonal hair loss to support you through this process, if that makes any sense. Like we're treating kind of the hormonal hair loss component and kind of supporting you through this process. But the idea that is that this one is temporary. Right. Whereas mono hair loss is an ongoing process that many men and women experience. Um, and like, you'll see it in the men as like, you lose the front sides and then you lose the top right. of the um, In women, they, it presents a little differently where you start to lose this section of your hair. Like mostly we call it the crown, right. but, but it, when you have stress though, it kind of does look a little bit like it's, it's evolving in that way. And so that's why people get a little bit more anxious about it. Got it. Okay. So I think so, you said that there's a shampoo. Yeah. So the, use. Yes. The first thing that I recommend is a, a prescription shampoo called ketoconazole shampoo. It is meant for the treatment of dandruff, but ketoconazole, um, if you don't know, used to be a pill available as a antifungal pill. So azole are antifungal pills. Mm -hmm. It's not available anymore um, because there's a risk of liver damage, et cetera. But this is a shampoo. There's um, very minimal- It through the liver. It's just, right. Exactly, exactly. When they they use it on their hair, it it just stays on the top. They're not absorbing it into their skin. The, uh, so all topicals um, absorb to small degrees, mm-hmm. not to any significant degree. That's okay. correct. Right. Um, but but everything eventually gets processed through the liver for your body or the kidneys, and right. so um, it just um, in that way. Um, but um, ketoconazole shampoo is a anti has a little bit of anti-androgenetic effects. And then in some studies, um, head to head with Rogaine, which is also known as 5% minoxidil, it's been shown to be equivalent to the use of daily or twice daily minoxidil use. And so um, it's a great thing to start with as a kind of a sub- hair support well, um, to help kind of um, stabilize the hair loss. And is it available over the counter? It is available over the counter as a ketoconazole 1% shampoo. Um, It goes by many different brands. Um, You may find it under um, the category of Nizerol, but there's other companies that make that as well. Um, The prescription version is obviously a little bit stronger. It's the ketoconazole 2% shampoo. Um, And I, I, I recommend it on a daily use, but some patients don't like to wash their hair daily. So I'm just going to be honest. I see patients of many different um, skin types, um, skin colors, et cetera, of different backgrounds. And so some people can only wash their hair once a week, once every two weeks. And so for these patients, I tell them to bring it to their hairdresser and then they could um, have them wash their hair for them with the shampoo. Got it. follow it by a conditioner um, because the medicated shampoos tend to be a little bit drying on the, on the actual hair itself. Um, and, and that's what one of my initial recommendations are. Let me digress for a second because you just made me think of something. Do Are any different hair types more prone to this type of alopecia and or would color treated hair or permanent, you know, weight, you know, hair that's been treated with any kind of chemical be more prone to hair loss through all of this? Huh, that's a good question. I think to answer your first question, um, different types, different types of hair, for example, can undergo different types of alopecia. Um, But if we're, if we're just talking about stress related hair loss, and everybody's um, 
I think on the same page there. But for example, um, my patients who are, um, my patients who, for example, have curlier hair or don't wash their hair as often, Mm -hmm. or have to do a lot of, um, you know, um, like straightening maneuvers or Mm -hmm. use chemicals in their hair a lot, they can undergo a different type of hair loss that can lead to permanent scarring. Um, It's called frontal fibrosing alopecia um, and or um, traction alopecia. You may know that where, you know, if you have your hair in braids, it's tugs on your hair. And over time, that tugging can create scarring along the front of this area, leading to permanent hair loss. Because I always say the moment I see scar, it's like pouring cement over a patch of grass, the grass can grow around it, it can't go through it. So that's different than that's permanent, but like, I've got color treated hair, does that mean that I'm more vulnerable to hair loss? Or if I've got very curly hair or straight hair or fine hair or, you know, or anything like that. So the answer is no. Okay. All right. So let's, um, how about, uh, you mentioned Rogaine and Minoxidil. So that, is that a tier two? If, Um, if the shampoo doesn't work, it's part of my topical regimen for, um, uh, stress related hair loss. So, um, it's met it's FDA approved for the treatment of hormonal hair loss. Let's clarify that. So what does that mean? It means that um, there are enough studies to support that uh, the medication is meant to be used for the treatment of hair loss due to, for example, male pattern baldness or female pattern alopecia. But it's not um, studied in the setting of telogen effluvium um, in any regimented Uh, way. Um, But it is helpful in the same way that it helps with androgenetic alopecia, meaning that if you use it, it can grow hair. But there's a few side effects that one should watch out for. One is a brief shedding period. So, you know, I always say it's like, um, it's like, you know, you have to clear your lawn of the old grass before you can put new grass in. So some patients experience a little bit of shedding when you first start. um, And that scares people. Um, the other thing is you can get excess hair, <laughs> like little baby fine hairs right. along, um, you know, your jawline right. or your chin right. and people, it's so subtle. It's, it's always really subtle in my patients, but, um, eventually you may notice it. And then that's a possible side effect as well. Um, usually some of the studies say use it on a daily basis. Some of them say twice daily, most formulations come in a liquid or a foam, um, it's just whatever you're willing to use or how you want to use it. I'd say at least daily use. Um, and it's meant to be for the period of the three to six to 12 months to get you through this like stress related. And then again, I think, can that, do I need a prescription? Do they need a prescription for minoxidil or no? That's over. No, there. not that yeah. one. No. Yeah. You can just drop by the store um, and get it. And um, you know, the men and women's formula are equally great. They're okay. technically very similar. <laughs> pink box box and blue box okay Mm -hmm. um all right so hey uh suzanne asked a question she wants to know about if um any supplement supplements like biotin might be helpful great question hi suzanne Suzanne. (laughs) so biotin is a i would say based on the studies that i have read there are some studies that support it in the hair loss and some studies that that has no effect on hair loss does Mm -hmm. that make sense so um in essence 
if patients, so biotin is, it's a vitamin B. Mm -hmm. And so B vitamins generally are water soluble, meaning that when you take in, um, when you, when you take the vitamin or have enough of it in your body, you'll pee it out. There's no excess amount that will like, if you have 500 biotin, you're not going to get to a thousand by taking more, 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 because you're just going to, your body's going to self-regulate. It's going to be able to excrete it out in urine. Unlike some other vitamins like DEAK, where you can accumulate enough vitamins to Mm -hmm. a toxic level, actually. So B vitamins are generally um, you can't get too much of it. So if you're deficient in it, some of my patients are bi- biotin deficient, um, and there are some genetic diseases that make you biotin deficient, then taking it, I think, is very helpful for strengthening your nails and strengthening the, your, the hair, etc. Mm-hmm. But if you are a normal person taking normal amount of food and have no deficiency, I doubt that it would be very helpful, which is what the studies reflect, is yeah. that sometimes it helps people, sometimes it doesn't. But other supplements are helpful. For example, there are supplements that um, are targeted towards hair, for example, Nutrafol, Viviscal, and I often recommend prenatal vitamins for women. And the reason is, like I said, from the beginning, a lot of women experience a lot of um, uh, experience underlying anemia or low low blood counts, low red blood counts. And so having that tiny little supplement in iron can be somewhat helpful for for growing hair. Do they need to be sure? Because I know we're, we're always very sensitive about having people take additional iron if they don't need it. So should they check with their doc before they do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, obviously they're at my office and I'm making this. <laughs> right. Exactly. They're in front of you. Um, and with B vitamins, we'll, often, we'll, talk about, we'll often talk about how older people become B deficient. So that as you get older, that you're more, you're increasingly B deficient. So a lot of people, we, we bottom line will often recommend just in general, be multis. Um, yes, because there's no way you can be toxic on it. Yes. <laughs> if you take, they always say Americans have the highest, um, have the most expensive urine, right? We're like taking supplements. <laughs> as supplements, long as you're drugs, a lot of vitamin D, E, A, K, like there's very few, um, you know, you can't overdose. Uh, well, I don't know. You can probably overdose on anything, but um, taking it as recommended is ab- it's absolutely safe and fine. And if it fine, and you know, it doesn't hurt. So um, give it a try if you're just at home and trying your best to grow your hair, but don't take anything in excess. Right. And I always say again, check. Most of this is safe, but check with your own doctors because we don't know what your specific health profile is, any medications that you're on that might have any kind of counterindication. Yes, thank you for that disclaimer. Yeah, I've got please. my lawyers back. Right, always make sure that you disclaim that. Um, yes. right, one other hair thing, and then we'll move on to, to these other topics. And I know you've you've got patients coming up shortly, um, but let's talk about platelet-rich plasma (PRP) therapy, which you said is a new thing that's being done for hair loss, even for stress-related temporary hair loss. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so we find that it's helpful in stress-related hair loss as well as hormonal hair loss. Um, now you guys know the terms telogen effluvium and androgenetic alopecia. So PRP um, is platelet-rich plasma. How it works is we draw your own blood. We take the yummy nutrients from your blood, um, the platelet-rich plasma portion, and we inject it back directly into your scalp. Um, I already told you, your nutrients are there's only so much. So then we're just repurposing it into a different location. And we're like telling your body, Hey, the scalp needs 
energy and some nutrients too. Um, and so that's kind of how it works or the theory behind it. Um, and you know, some, of, some of the patients do undergo a brief shedding period, like I said, similar to the Rogaine, um, where you start to notice a little bit more hair loss, but eventually uh, most patients stabilize and it's not FDA approved yet for this condition. So it's more that, um, you know, many things, uh, it's a cosmetic treatment in many dermatologic practices. Um, not every dermatologist carry it, but you definitely can ask your local dermatologist to see if they offer it. Um, it is expensive though, and, um, is not a permanent cure for anything. Right. And so one should know that, um, I think it's def- probably won't cover it. <laughs> Unfortunately not. No. Um, and it's as a me, right. I always say it's like cleaning your teeth. You right. got to keep it going um, right. to achieve the benefit that you want. Is it one injection or is it injecting all over? Like, um, it's a great question. And it, um, so uh, I generally inject it in the areas that patients are experiencing the most amount of shedding because the volume may be limited by how much blood we can draw from you or something like that. But um, for women, mostly in this region, for men, you know, in the areas they have loss. Um, and it's a series of injections. So it depends on your provider. Um, but it's usually a series of initial um, monthly injections followed by a maintenance injection. Okay. All right, there we go. Okay, so that's hair loss. Let's talk now about just, I think, broadly and briefly about all the other things. So in terms of stress and your skin. So eczema, psoriasis, hives, herpes, acne, rosacea. I'm going to lump all that together a little bit because any of those can be inflamed at this point in time. Correct. With stress, for sure. (laughs) And the winter weather are getting, it's getting colder, at least here in Angeles. Oh no, um, Los Angeles. They don't get cold in Los Angeles. It's beautiful. Oh my God. Well, we're embarrassing. We're just like the moment it hits like forties or fifties, we're like, it's cold. <laughs> and we, we, we're spoiled creatures down in Where are you? <laughs> um, so, and with any of these, so whether you, so what should someone do? So if somebody has already had it and they know that they've got it, we're going to talk in a couple, in a minute about back to the stress things. I just want to go through that a little bit again. Um, but so anything in particular they should do besides treat it the way they know how call their doctor to just be sure that they should don't need to, um, increase dosing on anything that they're taking or doing. Absolutely. So, you know, it's hard to lump all those things together because in a sense, every, every single one is treated a little differently, but I can say this studies show that winter weather and stress can flare patients, psoriasis or eczema, um, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, stress has been shown to make acne worse, um, as evidenced by many of my patients. <laughs> so we're going to talk about maskne if we get a moment. <laughs> it's a popular topic, yes. but so eczema, psoriasis, acne, hives, stress hives, right? So the answer is that you could be fine and dandy, and then all of a sudden you have a flare-up because of the situation, right? Whether it's because the cold weather triggered it. So a couple of things, like let's talk about eczema briefly. Um, making sure you're moisturizing every day, um, making sure you're using a cream, a thick moisturizing cream after you bathe can prevent flare-ups, right? And then treating it the way you know how with either, you know, people like doing over the counter topical things, which if it works for you, 
go for it um, versus a prescription topical um, steroid or topical calcineurin inhibitor, et cetera. So this works for you, go ahead and keep doing it. But if you have a flare up to the point where the things you're using is not helping anymore, that's when you go and seek um, your local doctor or your dermatologist so that they can give you further advice on how to quote unquote control a flare. Right. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, and if somebody hasn't, so there may be people that never had a problem with their skin whatsoever, and suddenly they've got weird red splotches on their body. Um, and that should they, should they ride that out for a little bit? Like at what point? Cause you don't want to be like, oh my God, I got to, you know, go in this minute. So yeah. ride that out a little bit, or at what point do they call so that they can get support for whatever and, and a diagnosis to be sure that it's not something dangerous? It, I mean, it, it's kind of going to depend on you. I think if, you know, people have um, very, oh, I lost you. There you are. I'm sorry. People That's have very degrees of, um, you know, their, their ability to kind of handle the situation. For example, like stress hives, you can be super uncomfortable. You could be super itchy. Um, it could prevent you from working. It can prevent you from, you know, um, taking care of your kids and stuff like that. So I think if it's affecting your quality of life, that's when you like right. kind of put things aside and say, Hey, it's time to go. Um, obviously these conditions can just be like all my patients play Google doctor, which I'm like I actually love right. because I think it gives them a foundation so that when they come into my office, I can give them uh, my spin on the, the story. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I know it, Dr. Trong, I reread it. And I'm like, good for you. Right. Because really, um, you, it's all about education and treating, you know, you, I'm just trying to help you. And so at the end of the day, if you can like get some of that background information, I could direct you to where you need to find it. Right. Um, you no, know, that's good. But like, if you're, if you're, if you're just not, it's not getting better, please come in because obviously it might not be what you think it is. Right. Um, there's about like even hives alone, like it could be caused by viruses, like COVID rashes, some of which looks like hives. Um, and, you know, so a few things, I mean, we're, we're not going to go into COVID rashes today. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a whole nother discussion. No. There is like certain rashes that could be, you know, what you think is stress hives or whatever could be a totally different condition. Um, so if it's not responding or kind of looking like what you're reading, um, then seek further medical advice for sure. Got it. Okay. Or if it continues to get worse versus kind of holds or. Absolutely. Or back. All right. So let's go back for a moment. Um, you mentioned a bunch of the stuff quickly with stress management in terms of meditation and yoga, but again, and we've, I've been talking about this for months in terms of the foundation and strength strengthening your body and your immune system to be able to fend off everything and same thing here that the stronger your underlying body is the more you'll be able to fend off these skin offenses mm -hmm. um, so beyond yoga meditation um you said exercise how about diet dietary things and you mentioned some supplements as well are there other supplements that are good for your skin that people can or should be taking beyond the um, the ones that you mentioned before, the prenatal vitamins, et cetera. Yeah. So um, I, I think it also depends on what um, type of disease process, because most of my recommendations come from the fact that there is evidence-based research behind it. So I would say, for example, like, let's just talk about psoriasis and stress, for example. We know meditate, oh, there's, there's a study on um, um, light therapy. So a lot of psoriasis patients are undergo light therapy, which is 
um, you shine light on the patient, mm -hmm. specifically a specific wavelength of light, 311. 313 nanometers, which is what we call narrow band UVB light. And it's anti-inflammatory directly on the skin. The great thing about it is there's minimal side effects other than the possible risk of sunburn, which I try not to do <laughs> for people. But in essence, like this light um, with patients who are meditating versus like with meditation tapes and then versus patients who are just doing the light without meditation, we find that the, the ones who are meditating and getting light therapy do better. Right. And there's, there's right. like, like this was actually done in like the two thousands. It was like a long time ago, right. but we know, you, you know, like your stress makes you more itchy, makes the eczema mm -hmm. worse, makes this right. worse. Uh, makes the hair loss worse, makes the acne worse. So, you know, we know that there's something to it. I just can't tell you it's this protein that goes up or down when you're stressed. Um, and like, you can measure cortisol levels up to the wazoo, but it, uh, that's another question. They're like, why can't you just measure my cortisol level? But cortisol it levels- It varies every five minutes. It changes throughout right. the day. Right. Did you like, did you just drink your coffee? Did you right. not? So uh, coffee, alcohol, smoking, these things we know trigger more inflammation in the skin. So do as you may, um, you know, um, but I, I think like, I mean, to be honest, I love my coffee. So everything in moderation, but like smoking, like these things we know are bad for right. us. So got to cut that out. Um, in terms of diet, there's a lot of diets out there. I'm not going to propose to say that I'm a nutritionist by any means, but there's things like, for example, psoriasis patients who take certain amounts of turmeric or curcumin um, is, is helpful for their psoriasis. I'm not going to say everybody, right? Some patients don't respond at all, but some patients do benefit a little bit from that. So there's certain anti-inflammatory, and it's actually, I can only make the studies based on specific medical disease right. diagnosis. So I would say, seek your doctor for a specific rec diet recommendation that's um, targeting your specific medical illness. Um, but in terms of like, speaking of like hair loss, like I haven't found that there's any specific diets that people can go on to like grow back hair or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, but it's very specific to the disease process. I was more thinking kind of tamping down potentially the inflammatory foods. Again, no surprises. Oh, Sugar, yeah. fried Fast foods. foods right. Exactly. Like, for example, let's speak about acne, like fast foods, greasy foods, um, high sugars, uh, some sometimes chocolate, <laughs> certain dairy products um, are, are can worsen acne. Well, so cutting some of these out and seeing if there's any benefit for you. Well, and again, it's been hard because people you know that there's been the people that have been stress eating, right? So, so everybody's running toward their comfort foods while we're home. So it, <laughs> we all are, right? Everybody has. That's why then I exercise so that I can, you know, get away with that piece. Um, it's really hard, but, yeah. you know, understand all these choices are, are feeding into our skin or everything else. Let's spend, because I only have about five, six minutes with you. Let's talk about mask knee for a second. Um, because it's something that everybody with their masks, they're suffering from assorted things. So can you give a, can you talk for a minute about that and what people can do? Because we're apparently we're going to be wearing masks for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite worried about the rising cases in at least Los Angeles County, but also around the world and the United States. So um, we're going to be wearing masks for a little bit more time until we figure out this vaccine situation, right? 
Um, and even then, I think we all should still protect each other. I think it's our civic duty to take care of each other, our families, our friends, and ourselves. So um, mask um, is kind of here to stay for a little bit. Um, it's kind of nice to see you, Sarah, without a mask, because I, I see so many people in masks all day. Um, but briefly about mass acne, and you can see, you know, there's lots of articles about it. But firstly, it's hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. So um, uh, one is you wash your face when you wake up in the morning. And for me, I like to recommend um, just simple sunscreen, um, zinc, titanium oxides, zinc oxide, titanium dioxide sunscreens are great to um, prevent, uh, create a barrier between your skin and the mask, right? Same like, I always say, it's like kind of like babies and desitin or zinc oxide. You're like, you're just kind of protecting the skin underneath this mask. You wear your mask, try not to put makeup in the areas that you're wearing your mask. Like I, you do your pretty eye makeup or whatever, but just kind of avoid the makeup. Cause a lot of ma makeups are comedogenic, meaning it can cause blackheads or whiteheads. Mm -hmm. And so even if your makeup is not comedogenic, sometimes it could still be occlusive, meaning it covers your pores and it can right. cause, especially when you're wearing the mask for six, eight hours a day. Um, the moment you come home, take off your mask, wash your hands, um, sing a happy birthday song, <laughs> give it a few minutes, right? And then I always wash my face. So um, a gentle cleanser, something without any medicated stuff in it is great for, for simple prevention, right? And then you, uh, you obviously wash your hands, wash, uh, take off your mask, wear your, uh, wash your face, and then that's a simple hygiene. But then now you have mass acne. Okay, that simple regimen might not work anymore. So one is you may want to switch out that cleanser that I said that the gentle cleanser to something that's a little bit more medicated for the treatment of acne. So benzoyl peroxide, salicylic acid, glycolic acid cleansers are great for um, treating and preventing acne as well. It's drying, it's a little irritating um, some people, especially now that's winter. So use with caution, um, but like you would substitute that cleanser in the morning at night for a medicated acne cleanser. You can find this in the over-the-counter aisle. So they just Try at, in the areas of the mask, because again, a lot of people that they're developing acne, but they also have drier or combination skin in other places. So right. I don't necessarily want to use salicylic acid on my forehead. Right. So if that is no the obvious, there. but right. Do as you may, if there's right. no acne here, go down here right. <laughs> um, for sure. And then if that doesn't work right and you're doing it, you're like, I've been doing it for a few weeks, no improvement. That's when you might have to want to go to your doctor so that you can get some prescription topical medicines. For example, clindamycin lotion, um, you know, azelaic acid, et cetera, et cetera. These things are helpful for treating acne. Um, and of note, you know, if you are, if you're pregnant, if you're, you know, if, if your skin is super sensitive, et cetera, um, as a doctor, I make different recommendations because certain things are safe in some people and certain things are not. Now, how about um, beyond acne, there've been, I'll call it, is it like just fungal redness patches and stuff or other sensitivities that are going on under the mask? That Absolutely. People, yeah. So how do they prevent that? Because the, the most common actually that I've seen just to uh, go back to the fungal stuff is um, an allergy to the mask. So for example, like a lot of the, the disposable masks are made of blue or blue, and some people are really sensitive to blue dye. Right. And so people get rashes on just their lips. That's like right. the area. 
it's and it's hard to treat um, lips rashes etc so so note like what you're allergic to um, and possibly like it keeps happening in the exact same area that's a sign that it could be an allergy okay um, but fungal acne I would say is quite rare don't um, mean fungal acne I just mean red spots so red right red yeah. spots like you know the red spots are around you know just around on the face where you you haven't used to been covered, but now suddenly you're in this steamy environment? It's a great question. So it could be fungus. It could be likely more irritation or an allergy. Mm-hmm. Right. Irritant, irrit, irritant contact dermatitis, which is more common or allergic contact derm, which is just the fact that you have something on your skin that is rubbing at your skin. Right. And it's like, and then like we see it all the time behind the ears, right? Where like the strap itself is like, rubbing and yeah. they're not they're not allergic to the strap per se right. just the strap is like pushing and tugging on the back of their ear so then i'm like use little hair clips right. or um tie the straps together in the back and then just make a little um tie in the back so that it's not pushing on your ears but you know people can get big sores from these things if it could keep yeah. gets repeated and so you got to c- try to prevent that and then can they and I, again i know that you got to go um can they try like either a little hydrochlor um, cortisone cortisone cream or um, the antifungal creams on their areas on these areas to see if those that'll cut tamp any of that down? If it's burning, it's probably an irritation. Mm-hmm. If it's itching, it's probably an allergy. Mm-hmm. And so a hydrocortisone cream will likely help. Um, but if it's not better after a couple of days of use, it could be a bacterial or fungal infection or right. something else. And you may want to make sure by doing a skin culture that can only be done when you're dropping by your doctor. As always, mm-hmm. right? Watch it for a couple of days, try it a little, and then give a call. All right, Dr. Allison Trong, thank you so very much. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. And thank you. Thank you. And everybody else? Next Wednesday, four o'clock, watch your Facebook lives and let everybody else know about these great conversations with our fabulous experts. So thank you very much. Thanks all. I'm talking to board certified dermatologist, Allison Trong about the impact of stress on our skin. In recent months, Dr. Trong has seen a parade of patients with hair loss, psoriasis, hives, rashes, acne, and so much more. Not because they're sick, but because they're stressed. Helping readers understand the power of their emotions to create illness and support good health is a perfect example of how our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, helps people do better and feel better. Dr. Trong is just one of thousands of top, highly respected truth-seeking experts who've appeared at Bottom Line Personal, not just in healthcare, but in all aspects of life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.